Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 212. It is your pals, Mario and Brian, in quarantine, lockdown. Mario, what's going on? Not much, just uh, a lot of things uh, hipping and happening lately around here and uh gonna talk about some of those today but uh just trying to ride out the corona and the heat started in florida so uh i'm really bummed about skiing even more so you know i i think i found some way to help help myself get over that depression so yes you have quite a <laughs> quite an interesting story and reveal which we're going to talk more about in the main topic which we, we're really good. You didn't disclose too much information to me yet. So it's going to be, I'm going to be... Got to keep it fresh. Yes. I'm <laughs> going to be learning about this just like all of y'all will when you're listening to this, which is going to be really cool. I was ch- chatting I'm in, a, in a Twitter East Coast uh, ski group. And one of the things people were talking about today was big snow. They're like, oh man, I was so psyched. I'd totally be at big snow right now if it was open. A lot of people are jonesing for some skiing right now. Especially a lot of people. Things are heating up. You just it's just we got so abruptly the season ended so abruptly, it just didn't feel right, didn't sit well. And now uh, it's people are jonesing. Now you're locked in, like you usually are in the winter, you're locked in and now it's turning into summer and everybody's like, what the hell? I'm still locked in. I can't, I can't function like that. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, but snow's falling in South America. If you can find your way down there, Valley mm. Nevada looked like it was. And they're open too. They didn't, they didn't close. Right. Uh, you know, I have to double check that. I know New Zealand's open. We looked at that. I think Australia places are open. South America, I think, I think they are open. But yeah, I thought we saw some posts on uh, Instagram, but we should check. Dude, I can't even look at Instagram these days. I just get too depressed. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's just there's certain times I, I I have my phases I go through with Instagram where I can just get through it and I'm okay with where I am in my life and what I'm doing. But lately, it's just. It's been no bueno, man. I just can't. I can't get on there. Yeah, it's tough. Um, it wears you down. Because you know they say that comparison is the enemy of joy, and Instagram has to be the worst goddamn thing you could ever do. Because a, you're only going to follow people who are posting interesting stuff, and if you're doing things interesting, you're going to post interesting stuff. It makes you look at your life and what you're doing and realizing you're not doing what you want to be doing, what your dream is of doing. So it just makes you extra depressed because you're not doing what you're doing and you're seeing other people who are doing it. So Hmm. it's a tough pill to swallow. It is. But acknowledging that it is a pill also gives you the possibility to change what you're doing to get you on the right side of that comparison. So there's something to that. Yeah. Working on it. I'm retiring next year. I've said it. I'm done. Throwing that gauntlet. Fuck the corporate world. I'm so over it. There's nothing I want to achieve. There's nothing I want to accomplish. It's all nonsense, frippery. People who couldn't weren't good at sports. People who weren't good at weren't awesome at anything fun and interesting. They went to the corporate world and became fucking uh, agile, agile software developers. Horrible. That's exactly what it is. They sucked at everything fun and cool. So they became agile software developers. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. But I digress. Thank you everyone for listening. 
please check us out. Skibumpodcast.com. We are on the socials. We're not posting that much, but we're trying to ramp it back up. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at Ski Bum Podcast. We have a shop. We've sold a couple of things lately. Skibumpodcast.com slash shop. And we're giving a personal shout out here to our friend, Nelson Guillen. Nelson, not only did he place an order on the shop, he also was one of the first ones to actually go into PayPal and give us a monthly recurring deposit. <clears throat> Boom. This podcast like exists a, because of you. Like a donation, like a monthly donation, which is so awesome and so appreciated. So thank you so much, Nelson. We're actually, we were just talking about before we are going to get our Patreon finally set up. There's so much more that we want to do and that we can do and that we know we're going to be awesome at when we do it, but we just need a little bit of backing to make it happen. And frankly, if we're going to get super macro on things, we need the world to return to normal so we can ski again. So maybe we should let that happen first before we start begging for money. Yeah, it definitely is going to take some money to get there though. Yeah. A whole right. lot of spending money. But thank you for being our first uh yes, thank you for so supporter. And hey, maybe if we got enough supporters, we could get a few of those heli pass, heli skiing season passes, and we can go have some amazing adventures and have some great podcasts. So oh, yeah. Really, you're giving to yourself by giving to us. You gotta give to get that right. It's you gotta give whole... to get. That's the whole unit and forward. Paying it forward, you know, doing God's work. So thank you again so much. We really do appreciate it. And we have info there. If anyone else is interested, it's on the website under support, big button, S-U-P-P-O-R-T. For those who don't like spelling, support. <laughs> We're on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, all those fun places, YouTube. So check us out. We really do appreciate it. Subscribe, rate us. Thank you again so much for listening. So Mario, let's kick this off the way we always do. It's time for our pray today. All right. So our pray today is going to be interesting because um, it's a combination of things. Combination. So, so I was going to have coffee before and I didn't. So now I'm kind of having coffee in the middle of everything, which is just bizarre. But I'm having a nice uh, postcard pills uh, from Green, Bren Green Bench Brewing. Uh, very good brewery around here. They can make a great IPA, uh, actually a few of them. And they're a nice local Tampa brewing company. And yeah, they're always at the festivals and everything. This one is a, a nice caramel pills. I haven't had pills in a while. So, um, I think a little colder, like ice cold, this would like really hit the spot, but it's got that malty caramely flavor to it. Uh, pretty mild in terms of comparing it to a, uh, IPA definitely. There's not a lot of hops and uh, only 4.7 percent alcohol, which is a uh, nice, easy drinking. Nice, wow. and that's something that we were talking about last couple of weeks about finding beers that are a little lower alcohol that you can actually have a couple of them, not feel too messed up, do your thing, do what you got to do. And I am in the same wheelhouse then because <sighs> now. I will say one of the beers that I found that's a local beer could be my new beer of the summer. I will talk about it on a future episode, but I found it last week and it checked so many boxes. 
But all right, I'm not talking about that beer today. <laughs> what I'm talking about today, I like this beer because I went to go visit my parents last weekend because Father's Day. Went to go see my uh, my dad, my mom, and there's a local brewery that opened by them maybe November last year, uh, October, November. So later, less than a year ago. And I'd always talked about going there and checking their stuff out. You know, it's one of those things you, you always say you're going to do it and then you don't do it. And something like this happens, you know, this whole coronavirus lockdown, small businesses getting crushed, you go and this didn't happen to this place, but you know, you could see it happening in a lot of places, places shutting down, changing hours, furloughing, yeah. whatever. I was like, you know what? I got to just go. So this past Sunday, I just went and the place is called Sunken Silo Brewworks. And they are in, I guess it's considered Lebanon, New Jersey. So right off of 78, going out towards Pennsylvania. You're pretty, you're pretty far out there, but that's where I grew up. <sighs> And it's funny, the place that it's in, it used to be, I don't know, like a kitchen cabinetry kind of place, but they renovated and there's a really cool seafood market and now this brewery there. Nice. So I went there. Fresh fish and fresh beer. Fresh fish and, yeah, fresh fish. Fresh fish and fresh beer. Yeah. Fish and fear. (laughs) Spoonerized. That's around the back. Yeah, right. Fish Fish and fear. Fish club, fight club. (laughs) <laughs> finally went there and I looked at their website before. So I wanted to check out, you know, get a, a vibe of what they had. And again, they're, they're still pretty new. And the one cool thing is they, they do a bunch of lighter beers for the summertime, which they call their Zouts, which are Berliner Weisses. Hmm. And they do a couple different, I think three different varieties they had either in on draft or they do the, uh, what do you call them? The big cans. Oh, the uh, crowler. Crowlers, yeah. So the crowlers. It's just the had... big can that they fill for you, so you could take it home rather than buy a whole expensive growler. Bingo. So they had, you know, crowlers. They had four packs, and they had uh, they had some growlers to fill. So brought the old growler, and I went with the passion zout. Oh, nice! So it's a passion fruit Berliner Weisse, four point four percent ABV a variation on the wheat beer style of Northern Germany conditioned with passion fruit puree and slightly sour. You like those Berliner Weisses uh, recently because Shandy's out because the Shandy's too sweet. So, but the Berliner Weiss, not a sweet, right? And that's part of the reason why that other beer I'm going to talk about in a future episode, why I like <laughs> it so much because I had tried some of those watermelon shandies from Line and Kugel last year. Yeah. I could drink like 12 of them because they're just so good. They're so, but again, they're too sweet. Yeah. Too yummy. This beer hits the spot. Now, I did buy this Sunday and this is Thursday. So it's a little bit flat right now. Flavor is still there. You're getting that, that obviously big, big passion fruit, a tiny, tiny bit sour, but just very drinkable, light. Uh, crisp. This is really good. They did a great job with this. I also had their raspberry one that they made. And mm, that was really delicious. good too. That was a tiny bit sweeter, but this passion fruit one, when I had it right off of the, uh, right on tap last week was, mm-hmm. was great. And oh, really? On tap? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect yeah, summer beer. Better. <laughs> Gotta love it. 
That's cool. It's a nice opry. Yeah, you have like two or three of them, and you you feel just a tiny, tiny little little tingliness. Nothing too crazy. A little tingle, a little relaxing, a little right. Like we said on our previous podcast with uh, our our buddies from Untapped, you could still use power tools after drinking one of these. <laughs> it's a good thing. But we don't recommend it officially. <laughs> we certainly do not. I just got some new power tools. I'm excited about. I got nice. a new uh, new hedge trimmer and a new weed whacker. Ah, uh, see, I don't consider those power tools. I consider those. I don't know what. What do you consider powered lawn? tools? Like lawn tools? I don't know. It's, it's like lawn tools. Right? Yeah, I guess they're just lawn tools. Because lawn tools runs the gambit of like a little flower trimmer versus like a fucking chainsaw, right? Very <laughs> true. I mean, so, but the reason why I think of them as power tools is because my goddamn lawnmower doesn't even have an engine. I have my old Bart Simpson lawnmower. So, you oh, know. the push one, the old fashioned one. I have the pu- well, it's a new one. It's a new push mower. Nice. But it's that same style. Oh, that's old school, man. You got to keep that. That's keeping it real. S- well, it's new, but it's old. Like it's a new, it's Fiskars, like the company that makes all those blades. Yeah. Guys. They yeah. make it. And for some reason, I don't know why, when I first moved into this house, I was like, I just going to get, I don't want a gas mower. I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be like a hippie or anything. I just, I hate the idea of having gas around. I don't know why. Right. Yeah. Cause so, you have it stored in the garage. This is waiting to blow up. Yeah. But the cool thing is like and now my other stuff, you know, my weed whacker, my leaf blower, my hedge trimmer, they're all the same. They're all Ryobi. And they all have this 40 volt battery pack. Oh, you have the Ryobi set, right? Yeah. Well, I have I have DeWalt. I have all my DeWalt shit on the wall back here. Oh, okay. But now I got all the Ryobi stuff for my big my bigger tools. I'm becoming a like I can't. But the Ryobi makes that big battery. Those lawn tools are pretty nice. Dude, it's 40 volts, man. My yeah. leaf blower, like I had a regular electric or battery leaf blower and it sucked this i have the 18 one, volt one and it's it's good for what i need i just clean a little bit of my front i don't have a yard so the, for, it's great. the 40 is great though like i actually i threw my flip-flop off and i actually blew my flip-flop away which is nice the, that's the test the flip-flop leaf blower test wow try it out if you can blow your flip-flop away it means you got some power you know, going back to those push mowers, you remember the old ones where there was no cage or anything? It was just, if you fall in there, you're crunching something. Cutting well, something that, up. That's that like circular blade, right? With that kind of... Yeah. Weird. And well, it would just turn around. That's what mine has, but there's an encasing around it. Right. You know, yeah. It's nerfed. But if you take that casing off, it is just blades flying around. It's like, don't go near it or you're going to get eaten up. And yeah. And you know what you did when you were younger? You didn't get near that fucking thing because you knew... If they gave you a warning, they were like they were serious. You respected the power. You know, sticking your finger in the socket, they'd be like, ha, watch this, watch this, he's gonna fuck himself up again. That's all they would do. There's no respect now. But if they said don't do it, it's very dangerous, that shit's gonna kill you. <laughs> Pretty much. Now now they read you the riot act if they uh if you didn't warn them with the video and explain in several languages how something is dangerous. Yes. <laughs> And you have to explain all of your political stances as well. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But yes, this beer is good. I'm enjoying it. It's a good lawnmower beer. Nice. Funkin' Stylo, Lebanon, New Jersey. Nice job. Funkin' Stylo could be Funkin' Philo. Funkin' Philo. And speaking of breweries that suck, not that anyone sucks that we're talking about right now. Uh-oh. And this is funny because I tweeted it out and I'm like, this is what happens when you have double A skills and you're playing against professional all-stars. Uh, Magic Hat 
production will move to New York, company says. Magic Hat Brewing is selling their South Burlington brewery and moving its beer production to a brewery in Rochester, New York, where its company, parent company, Fifco USA, is based. Hmm. So Magic Hat, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. They're one of those beers where you're just kind of like, yeah, Magic Hat. I mean, if you look around, you go, is there anything else I could drink? Well, the only beer that they make that I liked was the number nine. And it was one of those where you found it way back in bars, limited, you know, every once in a while you'd find it. And now all of a sudden I think they changed their production and distribution and it's everywhere. And you realize eh, it was all right (laughs) because it was different, you know, but yeah, it's one of those beers that at a particular time in your life, you're like, yeah, this is all right. And then it just, it couldn't compete though. You know, yeah. that, and that was their best beer. They make, you know, they make all kinds of stuff, but yeah. none of it's really standing out. And when your neighbors are Burlington Beer Company, Fiddlehead, Foam, now yeah. Lawson's, Alchemist, like, sorry, man. It's just, why would you buy that beer? You know, why would you buy it? What, like, the number of local breweries around them, like, you would never think to get a magic hat. Yeah. I will tell you, my, Oh, this gentleman, he worked for me a few years ago. Sadly, got laid off. Was a great developer. He went to Vermont on a trip with his girlfriend. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Where are you going? Because he was a beer guy. or He said he was. He was lying to me. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go up. So we're going to Burlington. We're going to Stowe. We're going to go, you know, just just hang out and, and you know, touristy, be sightseeing. Um, and I told him where to go, which breweries to check out. He comes back. I'm like, where'd you guys go? He's like, we went to Magic Hat and Von Trapp. Uh, and I'm like, uh, uh, so you passed, you passed Fiddlehead, you passed Foam, you passed Brilliant Beer Company, you passed Alchemist. You didn't go to mm-hmm. any of those. Nope. I'm like, this is. I'm putting this on your review. I'm like, you just you don't follow orders. Uh, you don't <laughs> listen to <laughs> your wise elder statesmen. Like, it just that's funny. And again, Von Trapp is all right. Makes Von Trapp's all right. What's the other one up there? The old one, Harpoon, right? That's uh, Vermont. They're on the other side, though. I think they're further Are east. They? Yeah, the Easterners. Sir. Yeah, but it's just when you're in Burlington, man. Like that's again, you're in the major leagues. You better bring it, otherwise you're gonna you're not gonna survive. Let's open up like a really crappy beer place in there. Maybe see if it works. You never know. Some people might like crappy beer. <sighs> I don't know those people, and I don't associate with those people. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. All right. Next, uh, we have 30 beers that changed America. Uh, so Thrillist, they always put out some pretty good stuff. Um, they have an article where they talk about these 30 beers. Um, so they're saying every beer has the potential to have a huge impact, but the beers that on that, uh, the beers on this list go further than just helping you get the courage to hit somebody out of your league. These beers have had a huge impact on beer itself. And in turn, our pop belly nation, <laughs> so so they're saying yinling lager number one or the first one they mentioned well it's cool all the different criteria that you know you don't even think about yeah yeah um so 19 uh 1829 um survival including civil war and prohibition so uh the oldest brewery in america doesn't everybody say they're the oldest brewery in america uh, Magic Hat didn't. 
<laughs> oldest generation in in Vermont, not anymore. Um, so this is out of Pennsylvania, and they're saying it's America's first example of a beer dynasty and pa- part of America's blood. And they have. Uh, you want to take the next one? Good old PBR. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool because it talks about the reason you know, why everything, why, why they're in this list of these 30 most influentials. And of course it talks about hipsters. It talks about PBR, you know, how hipsters love everything that's craft anything. Yeah. And they turn to PBR, a beer whose low price point and high irony level fit the mentality perfectly. The resurgence, which of course can be traced to a Portland dive bar, took mm-hmm. PBR out of a slump and skyrocketed sales. Wow. And with that, the turncoat hipsters transformed PBR into a symbol around which a whole generation rallied. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. It's awesomely cruel. Yep. All right, next one. I remember the commercials growing up. Schlitz first brewed 1858. So they're saying what it changed was that hop enthusiasts, uh, hop enthusiasts uh, were obsessing over the freshness of their beers, and they came out with the brown bottle, shielding the suds from harmful, harmful sunlight and ensuring better taste. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Like that's one of those things you've never. Yeah, like, they were the ones that did it. Who would have gone? Who would have guessed the first beer in brown bottles was Schlitz? Yeah. Now we know. Hmm. Next up. Iron City beer, first brewed in 1861 in Pittsburgh. Man. But do you know why it's important? Because that? You know that sound, that chick sound when you're opening it. 1962, oh. Iron City was the first beer to have a pull tab. Nice. I remember those pull tabs too. The pull tab can. Nice. All right, next up is Coors, first brewed 1873. And it wasn't the first beer to beer to use the aluminum can, um, but it pioneered the idea of seamless recyclable can. And it also instituted the cash for cans program, which rewarded empty recycle receptacle with a penny. So um, pretty interesting. Yeah. Next up, Budweiser. There you go. Obviously, they are the biggest and the baddest, biggest brewer in the world. They were the first American beer to be pasteurized, though, giving it a longer shelf life and allowing it to be transported greater distances. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, then we have National Bohemian, which I've never heard of. <laughs> National, I've heard of Kalik but not (laughs) National Bohemian, which which was first brewed in 1885. Um, So it's saying besides improving the collective mood of Baltimore residents for generation upon generation, um, it became the first brew to make its suds available in canned six-packs. Look at that. So, wow. Before you have to buy them, you'd you'd have to buy them individual or by the case? I guess, yeah. Men were men back then, so they probably had to buy them by the case like a man. Simple time, right? <laughs> oh, you want like a mini baby case? We got we got a six pack for you. Just get a keg, you pussy. <laughs> pussy. <laughs> pussy. Back in my day, I'd be I'd be ashamed to walk in and get one of those, boy. <laughs> only six beers. Who only six. drinks six beers? <laughs> Damn. Next up, Narragansett kid. Yeah. 
This made a resurgence too. Oh, dude, they've made a huge resurgence. Well, I think, you know, again, hipsters, irony, people watching Jaws. They see yep. the sits there. They want to have a few. Dude, Boston. they actually have <laughs> Boston. They actually have a one of their uh, summer beers. I got to try their Shandy. It's oh, really? made, Yeah, there's apparently a famous Rhode Island lemonade company that they work with to make their, I think it's called like Ned's Shandy. Nice. It's in a green can. It's green and yellow. I want to try that one out because I tend to spend a good amount of my summer in New England. Nice. But the reason it, why Narragansett's Wicked Gansett's kid, Narragansett made the list because in 1944, they became a corporate sponsor for the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Braves, which included the telecasts of this newfangled invention called television. Um, so considering using televised sports to sell beer to people now represents approximately 57% of the U S economic activity. It proved to be an astute business move. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. So I guess they were the first to become a sponsor sponsor first beer to become a corporate sponsor. It sounds like. Man, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. All right, now next up we have Anchor Steam. Now I remember Anchor Steam. I couldn't find for the longest time, but when I was in Buffalo, I would drink it up there, and then all of a sudden it started appearing. And it's this is another one I think made a comeback. So since 1896, um, they are f- uh, famous for essentially making craft beer before it was even a thing. So it was like the entry point for beer lovers who didn't really understand beer. And um, they said it's been like a standard craft beer model since. But they make steam beer, right? Like, isn't that like, what does that even mean? That's what they say in there. Like nobody even knows what it means, but they're saying that the impact is uh, that it's more of a craft like beer, but yeah. You have to see what the steaming in is. Yeah. Do they steam the hops? I don't know. I just, it's, it, I have no idea. All right. Next up, Miller Light, 1974. I guess this was the first light beer that was made. Oh, yeah. Right. Remember? And they had all the cool commercials. Like they came out with some, it's put McKenzie. They had, like Swedish Bikini Team, they had all sorts of stuff. Um, Spuds McKenzie was Budweiser. I was Budweiser. Well, Bud, it was Bud the Light. start of it was the start of the uh, light wars. I mean, you had yeah. the cola wars going, and then you had these light beer wars that started with this. Yeah, yeah, they were the first light beer. Oh, crazy! That's crazy. <laughs> Prediction in twenty twenty seven, craft light beer will become a thing. <laughs> well, you already oh, have man. that with the goddamn. Seltzers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. All right. See, next up, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Still a good one. Uh, 1980, first brewed. And they never realized they were sporting a new style of beer back in 1980 when they set out to do a hop heavy pale ale. Um, and they're saying this actually grew to be one of the most uh, beloved and largest indie be- brewers in the country. Um, and I almost think they didn't say it, but could this have been the precursor to the whole IPA explosion that we've seen, right? Oh, it for sure was. And if you guys check out the uh, 
Drinking Socially Untapped podcast. Those gentlemen were talking about it a few weeks ago, um, Harrison and John, on an episode, I think it was episode 13. They actually were drinking Sierra Nevada and talking about it and the history of it, as well as the next one on this list, Sam Adams Boston Lager. Boom. <laughs> This is pretty funny. First brewed in 1984. Chances are you think Sam Adams is run by the Illuminati. <laughs> I actually hadn't thought that. Um, Jim Cook, you know, he's he's the guy who started it. His story is pretty funny. Like his his wife at the time was all pissed off at him because he was making all this beer and that was what he was into, and she wanted no part of it. And he actually chose to kick her to the curb and follow his dreams. And now he's the head of a giant, amazing beer company. Yeah. Which got to respect him for that. And our, our friends, John and Harrison, who talked about this on their untapped drinking socially podcast. One thing they brought up that I thought was kind of cool is they talked about Sam Adams. And it's one of those things you just, if you're a craft beer fan, you sort of take it for granted. You're like, yeah, Sam Adams, whatever. I used to drink that. But if you go back and try it, you kind of realize just how good it is and why yeah. why Sam Adams got so big and makes, I don't know, like 100 different varieties of beer now. Hmm. They know what they're doing there, man. They make some really good stuff. Damn. Uh, all right. Next up, we have Windmere Hefeweizen. So 1986, they're saying... Um, when the craft scene was getting bigger and better, uh, they were asked to create a third beer to go along with their Weizen beer and Alt beer. Uh, trouble was they only had two fermenters. Um, and just like that, the American style Hefeweizen was born. So, hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I guess, you know what? I, I don't know why, but I always thought the craft beer thing really didn't hit to the 90s. You know, it, I think it was just being done in a smaller scale, and I, I find out it was being done in a larger scale still, which is kind of cool. Well, you read these years, you know, it's like it seemed like the early mid '80s is when it really started taking off. It really started doing stuff. Like the yeah. next one, Brooklyn Lager, nineteen eighty-eight. I had no idea it's been around that long. But they busted at the gate with their signature lager, a fancier take on the adjunct fizzy yellow beer that was being produced in mass by the big dogs, bridging the gap between blue collar drinkers and the emerging beer nerd culture. Mm. It, that, that's, that, that describes Brooklyn. <sighs> Dude, I wonder what they paid for that brewery that they're at right now. Oh, they probably paid pennies, now. right? That was the golden age of uh, like Dinkins era. New York? I think so, yeah. And that was like the, the the early, early precursor to the whole everything changing in Brooklyn and all those areas. I was still way ahead of its time, yeah. yeah. That didn't happen until like the mid-late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they got a long-term lease. Hopefully. Better put it out. Yeah, right. Yeah. But they said that they proved pretty savvy Brooklyn lager with its stylized logo and bottle shop ubiquity still manages to stand out amid a seat change. That's turning the focus back to craft loggers. Mm. Huh? Loggers. Yeah. All right. This next one I've never heard of. It's Duchess black. Butte Porter. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's Deschutes. Deschutes. <laughs> 
<laughs> you we, know this one? Have, have well, you had this one? I've not had the Black Butte Porter. I've actually heard Joe Rogan talk about this beer on his podcast. He's not uh, really a big beer guy, but he's mentioned this one. But I remember we had to shoot in Utah because Ryan picked up a six pack of a really good IPA and was getting all pissy when people were drinking it. Oh, that was that to shoots. That was to shoots. I wonder, I don't remember if I drank one. Yeah. I think <laughs> need to, to shut the fuck up. <laughs> here. That's right. Love you, Ryan. <laughs> Love you, Ryan. <laughs> uh, so they're saying it's a, a, a Porter black beauty. Porter was actually, uh, when they introduced it, it was one of the first of the style introduced here. So it was taking everything a, a different direction. They were starting to create a new little direction of their own. Hells yeah, there, Deschutes. Next up, Goose Island Bourbon County Stout. I know I've had a couple of these in my day, and these are pretty goddamn good. Well, don't they have several that claim they're Bourbon County? Well, they make several varieties every year. But yeah. they're the big one, right? Goose Island? What's the other one? Is it Kentucky something? Yeah, I Kentucky. thought there was another one, but I'm not sure which one is. ABS. Uh, Kentucky Bourbon Stout. That's a similar one. That's, I think, doesn't Founders make that? Or there's some other actual, maybe it's a whole other brewery. But the Goose Island Bourbon County Stout is the one that kind of started it. And now it talks mm-hmm. about how you know startup breweries everywhere are scrambling for spent bourbon barrels. They can make a big impression with that first barrel age stout release. But Goose Island started in 1992, which is crazy. And one cool thing is, you know, they they always release it on Black Friday. All right, that was Goose Island, and then we have a uh, Blue Moon Belgian White. So 1995, they started brewing. Um, First brewed at Coors Field, which is pretty interesting. Um, cool, yeah. Yeah. And then their difference is that um, there's the light and the not light markets. And they're saying they thought Blue Moon wasn't – it's a lighter beer and it's a different style. But I guess it broke it broke the image of light beer having to be a light beer. This is a light style regular beer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Blue Moon's one of those beers like you just you see the people who order them and you go, I'm not fucking ordering that beer. And then they put the fruit in it Orange. and they do all yeah. And they're all right, but I don't know. They're like a shandy for me. They get a little too sweet. I tell you, I make most of my beer selections judging other people who are drinking it. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. And I'm still okay with that. Next up, Lagunitas IPA. I had no idea Lagunitas had been around that long. <laughs> it's the funny thing. You know, think about how how easy it is to get anything from anywhere now. You know, oh, yeah. you think about the mid-late 90s, you didn't have that access, like not even close. So you'd oh, have to have... I remember people that my dad played softball with. Now, they were all almost 100% Puerto Rican, That they, their whole softball team. But for some reason, a few of them really loved Coronas. And at the time, you couldn't go just to a local store and get Corona beer. You had to get it. You either had to go somewhere like far and get it. I think there was a place in the city they knew because they were all from the Bronx. And... um. 
or you had to go to like, you know, if you were taking a trip, you'd bring back Corona with you. And I never, I'll never forget these two guys. They were caught, they were like NYPD detectives and they would fight every week because the one thought the other one owed him a case of Corona. <laughs> it's breaking his balls, but it was like hard to get. They're like, I'll give you money. He's like, no, I want you to get it. Cause you can't get it. Uh, it was just funny. Yeah, it's just simpler times. I mean, it was, it was so much harder to get, those those smaller craft beers, it was really yeah. You had your Budweiser, your Coors, your Miller Lite, maybe one or two little local ones. But it's not like it is now, where you know you can go you to the Keystone Augustiner even today to get that back from Germany. Pretty much, right? <laughs> but yeah, Lagunitas started. Uh, this IPA came out in 1995, and they said this could have kicked off the hops arm race. I Here's think this a- is one of the first ones out there, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, there were others, but they weren't good. This one was good. Yeah. It said uh, beer was impossibly bitter and aggressive with a 6.2% profile that set heads spinning. It was a sensation that spread across the country. 25 years later, Lagunitas is everywhere. Hmm. So, yeah, that was a, a pivotal pivotal moment in the beer game. Wow. Right, next, we got Victory, Prima Pilsner, Prima Pils. So 1996, and they said, you know, Pilsners are normally deceptively simple in the ingredients, but difficult to master. Um, so they actually, um, was it, they burst on a scene in 1996, largely left the brewing to checks, relegating to the style, uh, to the import section. Um, you know, so they their style put them in the import section, I guess is what they're saying. But, um, and then, you know, all of a sudden everybody started trying Pilsners and it became a bigger thing. I just think in general, like everything became bigger with beer, every style, like every, right. We just started consuming more. Well, I think the big thing was, it wasn't just, I'm having beer. Yeah. Cause it'd be, you know, it's a little bit of a, a foreshadowing to our main topic. It used to be, Hey man, can you get some weed? Right. Hey man, some weed, I don't know what it is as long as it doesn't kill me. Right. It's just, it'd be this generic term. And, yeah. you know, so many different things that probably were not what you wanted would fit that bill. Yeah. And that's, that's what this, you know, this particular Prima Pills showed that it wasn't just beer. It's like, this is Pilsner, the Lagunitas. This is an IPA. Yeah. And I think that's when everything started to kind of, I mean, everyone knew there was different types, but that's when it really became more important. Well, it's almost like wines in a way, right? Like, so then you have the whole wine thing, like, oh, I like this wine versus that wine, growing here, growing there, whatever. But beer is just so, it's like so much easier and quicker to brew. I think that's why, you know, finding all these breweries is, is so fun. Yeah. And it, and it was important. You know, wine, it was allowed to be snobby and you're allowed to have the different types. And for some reason, it took longer for beer to become accepted in that way. Right. And which leads us to the stone arrogant bastard. <laughs> I got to uh, tell you, I got a can of this upstairs. I drank, I got, I think, a four pack of them. I had one they don't of them. drink this. They don't make it anymore? No, they still make it. It's, no. it's, it's, it's something. I got to <laughs> tell you, it's kind of funny. The can says, you are not worthy. Uh-huh. It's it's got some attitude. It's really bitter. Is it kind of funky? I got to try it again. But it's almost like had... the Bitburger, the Bitburger, the Bitdine Bit, right? Yeah, kind of like that. Bitburger. They pride themselves on being bitter. All right. Next up, 
Oh, next up, uh, New Je- New Belgium La Folie. La Folie? 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 No, 1997, Fort Collins, uh, Colorado. So they um, started, you know, got a general following. Their big beer used to be Fat Tire, which kind of started them out um, and established them as a lifestyle brewery. Um, but then they unleashed this La Folie. Um, and it is a shockingly bizarre tart wood aged old Bruin that was to an American palate. Weaned on bitterness over sour, but the beer opened eyes to the Belgium influence across the board. So now everybody dabbles in sours um, or other Belgian influences, thanks to their saying, uh, New Belgium starting this whole, I guess, the big sour movement. Yeah, I'm still not. It's the only, the most sour I can do is these Berlin devices. That's the sours I like to get. Yeah. I'd rather just not do a sour and do something else. Usually, yeah. Just like I could, a... I could power down a half a bit, half a bottle of one and be like, "Oh, that was cool," but I don't want the rest of it. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather pour this on the ground. Yeah, that's right. Next up, Dogfish had worldwide stout, nineteen ninety nine, at nearly twenty percent alcohol. Wow! Worldwide Damn. stout was named the strongest beer in the world when it was first brewed. 16 years later, the ABV arms race rages on with legions of drinkers looking not at IBU or gravity, but percentage mark next <laughs> to the name of beer. Damn. And while WWS has been dwarfed by beers that are more or less whiskeys, it remains a gold standard of strength and taste. Worldwide stout, huh? Yeah. Damn. Um, all right, yeah, it's Oscar. one of those dogfish heads that has like the green cap. Yeah. So if you, see, if you see the green cap on the dogfish heads, that means something's up. Like the one twenties have that. The one tw- yeah, it's a special something special yeah, about it. It's going down. Going down. Huh? You better grab that shit and run. One might be enough. <laughs> That's right. Um, next up, we got Oscar Blues Dale's Pale Ale. This is a favorite of ours. We've had this many times uh, on the podcast. So, Oscar Blues, I love that brewery. Yeah. So, 2002, um, they're saying it wasn't the very first uh, craft beer to be available in cans, but it was the first one to do so and suddenly become widely popular thanks to the crisp hoppiness that awakens the palate in the best possible ways. So, they make a good beer, they put it in a can, and it got noticed. Love it. Next, Three Floyd's Dark Lord. Mm. Now synonymous with the most legendary release party in craft beer, this Russian imperial stout brewed with coffee started with just a handful of experimental barrels. Additions over the years have included metal bands, impossibly rare guest taps, unfathomably long lines, bottle limits, barrel-aged variants, one via scratch-off ticket and a host of other sometimes necessary changes that reflect the explosion of interest in craft beer in the last decade or so. Man, That's you so know how cool. they do documentaries on places? I hope they do one on like this Russian River Brewing. Yeah, if you right. know of one out there, I'm sure there's probably one out there. Uh, just let us know because I'd love to watch it. Yeah, seriously. Because that's the one that makes the um, p- uh, piney the... Plenty the elder. Um, younger. Maybe you should read the list, wait a little bit, and read some of the next ones coming up on this list. Oh, jeez. Oh, Jesus. 
All right, this is what we talked about many times. We found it. We had it. One of our favorites. And now everybody in Vermont can get it. Um, The Alchemist Hetty Topper. So um, the idea of a New England IPA, uh, they said they changed the view on it. And in Stowe, Vermont, they started brewing, you know, the Alchemist dropped Hetty Topper. Uh, light, hazy, and hoppy as hell, became a pilgrimage-worthy beer, drawing the hordes to the tap room for taste. Before it began canning nearly a decade ago, sending cans off in the hands of thirsty traders that served as missionaries of East Coast IPA, and that is very true. Um, so yeah, this uh, this is a classic one. Yeah, I remember the first time I went to Alchemist was. They were out of beer to sell, but they had it on draft and you could have as much as you wanted. Oh, man. And there was a bachelor party that came up from Georgia to get this beer. And they were like, yeah, we're out of it. Sorry. Damn. Brutal. Hit, hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, Georgia. Right. Get back to the devil and get his fiddle and go back. Damn. But, you know, it used to be very, you said it before, it, it used to be where things weren't easily to get. So you'd see one of these, you'd be like, hey, man, I got you a, a gift. I went I went all the way up north, come back, hit you with a heady topper. A lot of times you're like, I don't even know what this is, but I'm going to try it, you know? I went to like six stores and found one can. Yeah. One can then. That was, I think, 2012-ish. But it was even the rumor, like, what is what is Hetty Topper? Like, people would just yeah. say Hetty Topper, and they'd be like, if you don't know, I don't even want to tell you, you know? Yeah. And I I didn't like IPAs before that. I tried that, and I was like, whoa, this kind of changes everything. This is amazing. Was it nice, fresh, hoppy oh, so experience? Citrus and flavorful and mm. just delicious. Deliciousness. And next, what Mario was just referring to, oh. Russian River Pliny the Younger. 2005, Russian River already had considerable notoriety thanks to the mega-hopped blind pig, but when triple-hopped Pliny the Younger got a perfect score on Beer Advocate in 2010, the Damn. ensuing annual mania surrounding its two-week annual availability showed us just what kind of power the beer sites hold. Pliny release is now a primary tourism driver for Santa Rosa, with hotels offering special packages and lines forming around the brewery weeks in advance. Wow. Well, they have, um, so it's interesting stuff like that. So down here, uh, Tampa, uh, not Tampa, Cigar City has that Hanapu. It's like Hanapu's Ale or whatever, and they have Hanapu Day uh, or Hanapu. I'm probably messing it all up, Uh, but it's limited release. It's another one that does like two weeks. And they have part of a beer festival. You buy a ticket. It's something like 150 bucks, and you you're guaranteed a six pack. Like that's it. Wow. Like it's uh, it's expensive and hard to get. But I imagine this is just totally out of control. Try to get Man. one of those. Yeah. Right. So. And you know what? They could make more, but they're like, no, we're not going Why? to. We made enough. You know, you can come here and come visit and and try to get your hands on one. All right, next up, we got Lining Kugel's Summer Shandy. So this definitely, we were talking, did, you know, uh, break barriers of what people were drinking for a time. Uh, first brewed in 2007, Wisconsin-based Lining Kugel uh, has been incorporating European fruit beer techniques since 96. So they started with uh, Berry Vice, then they have Summer Shandy. They have, you know, all sorts of stuff that they um, they brewed with this, so. I think they have watermelon shandy, right? And what's crazy is that it says 
that the Shandies are now 70% of their production. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize. I thought there was like maybe two Shandies. And then I saw a commercial or I saw online and then I went to a big liquor store to look and they they do. They have like, they have like uh, a lemon Shandy. They have, you know, the berry Shandy, orange, grapefruit. Like, and it, there's all these flavors. Like, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. I did do a pumpkin Shandy too in the fall. Ah, uh, eh, depends. Pumpkin beers. That's a whole separate uh, episode. <laughs> Next up, one of your favorites, Founders All Day IPA. Oh. They didn't make the first session IPA, but in 2012, when they came out with this, it was an immediate hit, readily available, refreshing, hoppy blast that immediately became the lawnmower beer of choice for a generation of craft lovers whose tastes had advanced well beyond the dad beers of yesteryear. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, definitely. Ah, love that beer. You drink them all day. You really, really, because usually if, if you're not, if you're not an IPA drinker, right. Think about drinking three of these, but in actuality drinking, th- drinking six beers, right. At least maybe more six, maybe seven or eight. Um, that's kind of what it's like if you're drinking IPAs all day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you go to a football game, you're done by by the first quarter. <laughs> Coin toss. <laughs> Coin toss. I was out, man. It was, uh, worldwide stouts. <laughs> All right, next one I'll let you take because this is one of our favorites and, and this is closer to you. Oh, yeah. Treehouse Julius. Eddie Topper may have kicked off the New England IPA craze, but slowly brewing a cult around Hetty Topter. But Charlton... Massachusetts Treehouse took the idea and amped it up to insane levels. Taking a cue from the West Coast, it amped up the fruit flavor to levels previously reserved for juice bars, tossed filters in the trash, set the template for the ultra jazzy, juicy IPAs that are now taking over the country and the West Coast. Julius is the granddaddy of the next wave of hazy New England IPAs and still one of the torchbearers. Nice. One of my goals for July is to get up to Charlton to the brewery because right now with the whole lockdown, it's actually for lazy people. It's been really helpful because now instead of having to go in line and wait and hopefully get beer, you can actually pre-order it and just go pick it up. Nice. Yeah. So try to get my hands on some Julius. Do you do a weekend in, in Burlington when they open? That would be really nice. I would love that. Go to foam, go to like even to um even not uh, magic hat. Not magic hat. Uh Citi- uh was it citizens uh cider. Cider. Zero are, gravity, yeah. That zero gravity, like all that. You, you can go up there. All right, and last on their list is Athletic Brewing Company, Wild Run IPA. So uh, ni- uh, 2007. So they're saying for the longest time, while duels was the beer synonymous with non-alcoholic beer and shorthand for why, pe- why people were puzzled by the idea of any beers to begin with. Why would you even drink that swell when there's perfectly good water on offer? Uh, but athletic brewing saw an opening and ran with it. They launched, launched a line of meticulously crafted beers among them wild run IPA that actually tastes like craft beer. Um, and they hit it at the right, right time. So with taste shifting from ultra boozy IPAs to sessions, um, 
they're saying uh, there's a new generation of non-drinkers that would love beer but hate the baggage. Um, and, you know, with the legalization of weed, this is perfect to go with just saying. <laughs> there you go. And I think we talked about this a while ago and there was one of those non-alcoholic bars that came out. They were, yeah. you know, you get to a point where you don't want to get, you don't want to get banged up, but you want to have something that has that beer taste. So it's, yeah. it's nice that they're actually getting it right where you can have the flavor and the taste, but maybe not have all the, again, the baggage and the repercussions. Well, even if you're out, like, let's say you're the designated driver too. That's another thing where, you know, you go out with your friends and you want to feel like you're part of the celebration. You don't want to just drink water or not drink anything. Um, so you wind up getting a drink and usually soda or something, but then that's syrupy and shitty. What about non-alcoholic beer, right? It kind of works out and you could still feel like you're part of the party. Uh, just not getting hammered. Yeah. You know? Good. I'm surprised that we went through this whole list of 30 beers. I didn't think we were going I, to, but we did. I didn't either, but uh, that's where we are now. <laughs> that's where we are now. But that, that wraps up the old upright today. It was almost like a whole episode already. I know. All right. And now we're going to go back in out of quarantine. Let's get into the Genjula. Oh, finally cleaned it up. We certainly did. All right, we want to take the first one? I go for it. All right, so my Montana advocates meet deadline for cannabis legislation measure. So this, you know, everybody, we were just talking about this before the podcast, and we're wondering, you know, what legalization is going to be up for vote. So they're saying uh, cannabis legalization in Montana submitted more than um, 130,000 signatures um, to be able to get the adult use legislation on the ballot in November. So this is pretty big news because there's been a lot of talk about everything getting dropped with COVID-19 and uh, even they're talking about the way you vote and everything, but it's good to see that people are still putting on, you know, putting uh, the the foot forward to keep the fight going. So um, it's very interesting. Yeah. And you got to think about how bad they wanted to make this happen. If they did, they were able to get all these signatures during this crazy quarantine lockdown time. Yeah. That's and I will uh, tell you, if Montana can pull this off and we have teased this in the, in the past, the, our algorithm for finding the perfect ski town to move, this could turn Bozeman into Boulder. That's right. It could get the ski bump podcast seal of approval. This could turn Bozeman into like 1980 Boulder. Can you imagine like unpopulated Montana all of a sudden everybody going there to like ski and, and, and party. Be like the the Vegas of the future, uh, dude. Montana has a lot going for it, and if they legalize cannabis, that would be huge. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of wealthy people that live in Montana too, right? With a lot of stretch of land, I almost guarantee you, a lot of those wealthy people have their supply of weed. So, who's really going to complain about it? Yeah, there's still some, you know, some kind of old schooly Midwestern religious folks that may want to keep it out, but Oh, they're just on their opioids then. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
Like I'm just going to drink some of this nice, delicious whiskey. Like God and everybody's on something, man. Everybody's on something. Yeah. Everybody's got a vice. They got, they got you somehow. And isn't it funny too? you think about, I mean, we'll talk about it more, obviously with the main topic, but you, you, all the things like when you're young, like all those, like just say no commercials. And this is what you're, this is your brain on pot, or this is how you act when you're on pot. And then you actually try it as an adult or well, I, I tried it as an adult. I didn't try it when I was probably, you know, too young, but I was like, wow, this is not what I expected based on all the yeah. propaganda crap that I was told. All right. Yeah. Well, it's like drinking beer. Like I remember 18, I think I just got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to steal a beer once in a while from the fridge. See if anybody notices, right? Just one beer. If there's a lot in there, you're like, all right, I think I'm pretty safe. They're going to forget. Maybe there's one beer that I didn't drink. You know, nobody keeps track of their beer that. So you have a beer, then you have two beers (laughs) and you see how the effect goes. And you're like, all right, it's not like I, I did something crazy. Uh, And then you get in college and you're like, oh yeah, that's what they meant. Uh I had 97 beers. Yeah. You're like, well, I didn't think I could drink so many. Oh boy. Where'd my pants go? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of cannabis and its magical properties that it has, there are two Canadian researchers right now, Olga and Igor Kovalchuk, who have been developing and testing novel cannabis strains for years. And they're looking to see its efficacy to combat cancer and inflammation. But now they've turned their focus to COVID-19 and after pre-clinical research showed their strains might make it more difficult for the virus to enter human cells. Hmm. So you got to smoke how much cannabis per day to make sure this doesn't happen? Two pounds. <laughs> Two pounds. You're like smoke huts around town. Like we have the public smoke hut. Uh, it's limited. So please get there early. We're limiting to 15 minutes each. During this pandemic, they start to think about how their cannabis strains might interact with COVID-19. So they decided to take a look as to whether or not any of their cannabis extracts affect any of the gene proteins that may be involved in the COVID-19 disease. The duo suspected their extracts might affect the ACE2 receptor, a gateway through which the virus enters and threatens human cells. We looked through the literature and said, this looks very similar to SARS, so it probably enters in a similar way. The paper later confirmed their suspicions. We sent the two researchers combing through a mountain of data they had collected on their 1,500 cannabis strains. Hmm. They identified high CBD concentration extracts that showed to decrease the level of ACE2 gene expression. The ACE2 protein in artificial human cell models taken from the lining of the intestines, lungs, and mouth. Evidence of the decrease meant that the extracts could have been blocking the receptors through which COVID-19 enters. So if you think about our body as a house with a hundred doors and this ACE2 receptor being a doorway for the virus, it attaches to it. The receptor kind of brings it in. Hmm. Uh, method does not target the virus itself, but rather the pathway it uses to enter the cell. Uh-huh. So it's still there. You just don't get infected by it then. Well, they say it's kind of like a temporary closing of the doors. Right. 
which means you got to constantly be in the weed hut. Yes. Damn. Can you imagine if that's the solution? Like cops going, excuse me, excuse me. You look like you haven't had any today. (laughs) Hold a mask to you. It's police brutality. They're making me smoke weed. (laughs) 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 Never seen so many people being nasty to the cops to get weeded out. (laughs) Yeah. So there have high CBD strains that have the potential to, to block the receptors. Oh, very cool. And currently sold through a Canadian dispensary. But there's no, there's no legal connection right now between the research and the extract. So they're still, they're oh, still cool. trying to do some more trials to figure out if, if it is true. It's kind of more theoretical at this point. I think they said something about, or they alluded to that, because right now everybody's panicking, and rightly so, about COVID-19 and trying to find a cure and try to find a treatment that um, I think the FDA and a lot of the organizations have, like, given passes on some of their stringent, you know, requirements to get a drug to trial. Uh, and rightly so, because this is a, you know, unforeseen time. Um, hopefully oh, yeah. I think it'll change the whole system and make it where it's a little bit easier to get some of these drugs to market and open up the idea of studying uh, even uh, cannabis as a solution for some of these uh, ailments or treatments. Yeah, hopefully it has to. Yeah. There's I mean, so think much about it. Just shut it down. Because of yep. some nonsense propaganda from the 30s. It's, it's yeah. Idiotic. I mean, think about it now. We need it more than ever. We need anything. So if this can help in any way, you know, why not? Right. It buys you a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that wraps up our trip to the gondola. But don't worry. The main topic will have some more gondola related information. Let's go to ski news. You want this first one or you want me to take it? I'll take the first one. Uh, <laughs> uh, because things haven't gotten ridiculous enough in the world. And this is going to ha- keep happening. This is the first of many things to come. Um, so Squaw Valley Ski Resort is considering a name change since Squaw is a racial slur. Alpine Meadows, uh, Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows, the Sacramento Bee is the busy bee, the no bee. As reported in Squaw Valley, is considering changing its name due to being a racial slur. Uh, the owners uh, near Tahoe are inviting Native American leaders to discuss the use of ethnic and, and sexist slur in its name. And at the moment, to remove symbols of colonialism and indigenous oppression has grown throughout the country. They're saying it's current, they're currently looking at what they're going to do about it. And then they're also reaching out to the regional tribal leaders to provide guidance. So uh, hopefully they talk it out. Reading this, this kind of huh? fucking slope is what this is. Now this is an article on fucking unofficial networks about how Breckenridge might have to change its name because right. the fucking uh, the name Breckenridge was from a, he was the vice president of the Confederacy or something. Yeah. Like this fucking nuts. They're going to look at it's white gonna, mountain, oh, black mountain racist snowbird it's snow snow is white that's racist this is gonna just unleash the ridiculous and it's not just gonna be skiing it's gonna be everything there was an article that came out this week and they were talking about i love mrs butterworth the 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 syrup and they actually are saying now they're going to change the bottle because it's a racist bottle because it represents who is it 
Hattie from Gone with the Wind that is a racist representative of, and I'm just quoting the article, which I don't remember where I read it. Um, it's a racist representation of the mammy or the system where the master had the slave watch their kid. And it's like, wow, I, I thought it was just a cool lady on the bottle that, that had syrup. cool, that had some yummy ass syrup. That's what I thought it was. I think anything racist, but I don't know. I, I usually don't go to the first thing thinking that there's some race involved in anything, but I guess, you know, the world is afraid that everybody else does. So, you know, my, my question though, is I was going to ask you, how do you feel? So they come out, Squaw Valley goes out and they talk to the representatives from the regional tribal leaders, right? And they come out and they say, no, that's fine. You could use Squaw. We're okay with it, right? Now, if they go along and they continue to squaw, it doesn't end there because then some dumb white ladies are going to be like, exactly. no, you just, just can't. I, I'm offended by this word, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. It doesn't fuck me anymore and I'm bored. My kids hate yeah. me. So I need something else to just throw all my energy at. And it's going to be the renaming of Squaw Valley. Yep. And it's going to go both ways, right? So no more cracker comments or uh, whatever comments are to the white side. Uh, Asians, I'm sure, are going to have something. Spanish people, which is grouping a lot of different ethnicities in one, are going to have all these other things. I mean, who knows? I don't know. What are you, what are you mad about, Brian? Let's change that, too. Well, actually, you know what? Alpine Meadow is very offensive to me because of someone with Swiss, German, and French heritage. They're taking the word Alps from my fatherland's Alps Mountains. I, and I think I like that. Alpine Meadows, and I'm offended. That's cultural appropriation. Like California's that. not Alps. Fuck them. Yeah, that's like saying, you know, you the go. blue in a logo offends me. I think blue should not be used in these logos defensive this pure madness i love if these like elders wherever the hell they're, they're reaching out to yeah um, they're like hmm like well if you give us uh you know we will let you keep the name but we're gonna need to have that uh slope side mansion over there is exactly. right. a pain for the pain of all the squaws that have been you know what's been happened to them over time this will help to heal yeah but let me ask you this so past the next you know for the rest so, of our lives. Yeah, right. So are you saying that the damages have to be uh, monetary? So why don't we, we give you a nice statue or plaque in the middle of town? How about that? Oh, no, you want the money? <laughs> That's what this all comes down to, doesn't it? Yeah. So I don't know. I guess, you know, part of them is marketing. That's why they're entertaining it, because I'm sure people that go there or have investments in there are questioning now. Maybe we should be more cautious about the name. and. Let's just give nothing. We'll just give nothing names and nothing colors anymore. That's right. I mean, it's just the, the instead of Coca Cola, we'll just call it the red soda. And Pepsi, just the just the red, white, and blue soda. You can't call it red. That's offensive. And that red is the Russians used to call Russians reds. That's offensive to Russian. You can't use the 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 color red anymore. We have <laughs> gone full retard. And, and if you say it in Spanish, oh. Roja, you, you can't do that either because now people are offended that you're using Spanish in the country. <laughs> we were told, we were 
explicitly told not to go full retard, and we have gone full retard, and this is what happens. See, it does not end. Once you start it, you open up that Pandora's box, and it doesn't end. Pretty much. It's just... Oh. That's, and that's where we're at right now. That's right. It's all you goddamn pussies who got trophies for doing nothing. This is exactly how this all is going to play out. Yep. We all knew it was going to happen. Yep. Here it is. We do have one happy story, though, in the ski news. And it is a beautiful thing. This is a yeah, story. It's, it's actually from March, but it was officially released by uh, CHM, the Hello Skiing folks. Grandfather celebrates 95th birthday by setting Guinness world record as oldest heliskier. Damn. Gordon Precious of Hamilton, Ontario, celebrating his 95th birthday on his own goddamn terms. Mm. Here, you look that old. See, that's what keeps you young. Snowballed into the trip of a lifetime with his wife and grandson and now official Guinness world record. Nice. Dude, if I hit 96, even if I'm in bad shape, I'm going to be like, coke me up and send me down the mountain, man. I want to break this guy's record. (laughs) (laughs) I might die by the end of that run, but I'm going to do it. Yeah, it was out in the uh, Caribou Mountains in British Columbia. Nice. Yeah, he arrived at CMH Caribou's, was delighted with the reception. Manager came to the helicopter and hugged me. Uh, Dude, Brian, you got to do Corbett's at 95. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be great? Well, dude, when I turn 95, they're going to have some crazy, like, hella, uh, like uh, exoskeleton airbag. That's right. System. You're not even going to hit the ground. You're just going to be cradled in your in your thing wouldn't it be funny to get a get a fake id and like some makeup on there to make you look older make you look like a hundred and then yeah. go, go ski corbett's ski corbett's keep the uh, going for a while so it says that he had a guide it says for the record setting run precious continued to plow fresh snow for three days at cmh alongside his wife tracy and grandson trevor together making the type of memories that would last for generations. It's so inspirational to see the unbridled joy that skiing can bring to people at any age, says grandson Trevor Young. Whether it's my kids learning to ski at Caledon on the 100-meter Ontario Hill or a 95-year-old who has skied most of the world, it's still the same exhilarating delight of careening down a mountain on snow. That's awesome. This guy, not only is he a 95-year-old Guinness record holder for skiing. He's also a magician. Yeah, I saw that. Owns an He's a pretty good magician too, right? This collection. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. So the previous record holder had been 91. So he crushed it by over three years. Oh, crushed him. Crushed him, young gun. And he said he's looking forward to his 100th year hell of skiing. So hopefully he didn't die of the coronavirus this year and we'll be able to do that in a few years. Nice. Yes. That's pretty awesome. It is awesome. So congratulations, Gordon Precious. You're very inspiring to all of us. And hopefully you get to keep doing this for the next couple of years. Now we're going to roll into the main topic. And Mario, this is sort of, this is sort of you today because we, we teased it earlier. And now I want to hear about the whole process of you getting your medical marijuana card. Yes. Yeah, so. We talked about for a few weeks, months. And actually, oh, we talked about this for years. But you actually did it and you have it. And now 
Yeah. I want to hear the whole process of how you got it, what it took, what you experienced, and what you are partaking in these days. So here's the thing, you know, when you start thinking about it, like I'm in a state where it's medically available and like full recreational legalization. I, I don't know where the legislation is, but everybody around here is smoking it. Everybody vapes and all that stuff. So Florida is a very big state for just smoking and vaping in general. Um, so I decided, you know, I got, I got pain in my back and I got ailments. Um, and I'm not looking for, you know, a crutch or anything. I still go pretty much without anything. Um, but I figured, you know what, rather than take, you know, any pharmaceuticals, why not start looking at, you know, medical marijuana because there's ways you can get it. So I a very big ominous task. Like there's nobody to ask that that'll tell you, unless you go to a doctor, um, then they help you. You get into the tract of like people that know what you need to do and, and what to do. But other than that, I just did, uh, I did a few internet searches and read a few things and they, and there are some sites like even the medical marijuana for Florida, they actually have step-by-step what to expect when, you know, walking you through the process, because you start wondering, you know, about work, like, is this going to affect my ability to get jobs? Is it going to affect, you know, like what are the ramifications of going for this? So I'm, you know, being very concerned about that. I'm in a situation right now where, you know, I don't get drug tested. It's fine. Um, but if I did, I would probably just not take anything for a while. Uh, still keep my medical marijuana. And if I did, you know, it did become an issue, I legitimately have a prescription for it. So I figured why not, why not go ahead and do it? So Florida, the way they did is you have to be a Florida resident. Then you have to see a doctor who has to uh, approve that you need medical marijuana to treat your conditions um, and write you a prescription. The doctor then enters you into the state registry, and then you go at the you know after your meeting and you uh, go to the state registry and you you know log an account, and set up all your stuff, and you got to pay them like a seventy five dollar fee. So for doctors, you know, looking at that process, I looked at like to see a doctor. Um, kind of like an individual doctor, some of them were, were offering, you know, $300 for the first visit. And I'm like, that's pretty expensive. I'm like, is this going to be like a ton of money to get the license? So I found a place um, called DocMJ. And all it is a, a group of marijuana, medical marijuana doctors. Now, some of them are actual doctors. Uh, I think all of them have to be real doctors. And then they get the uh, they go into the registry of being a doctor that can write for medical marijuana. And I don't know if there's training that goes with it and all, but so I did. What was for, this doctor like? Was he like a real doctor, like a you know, like a doctor of internal medicine, or like what kind of doctor? So the was original he? doctor I booked the 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 appointment with, I looked him her up, and she's a real doctor at a family medical practice. So she's a family, like a general practitioner, family doctor, right? Okay. So I was like, all right, cool. They have real doctors. And I started looking at a few approvals. So I set up an appointment the day before my appointment. They say, we have an opening. Do you want to meet with this other doctor? And I looked him up. He's also a doctor too. So I'm like, all right, this place is pretty legit. Like they have real doctors. And I guess that's part of the, part of the thing. Um, but they also practice real med, you know, regular Western medicine, if you want to call it at another place. So, um, and then I started noticing there's several groups like this. So in Florida, if you want to get, um, you know, your medical marijuana license, you can go to one of these doctor groups 
and they'll actually help you. So what they do is instead of charging me like $300, like the other person was going to do, and then $150 for each visit after what they do is it's $200 up front, 198 or something like that. It covers your first visit and visits for 70 days up to seven months. So when you get approved originally, you get approved for seven months, right? But that requirement is that you have to meet with a doctor every 70 days to keep the prescriptions going. So their renewals, like, so you have to get renewals. They write your prescription. It's for 70 days or 35 days in one case, I'll tell you. Um, and every 70 days you have to get that renewal up to seven months. And then you have to update your application with the state and do like another, it starts again with like an initial visit screening with a doctor. Could be the same one, but I'm sure they have a deal with that. So it's every seven months? Every seven months, I have to go for another full full evaluation. Uh, but every 70 days, I have to go f- visit the doctor just to keep that same prescription going. Okay. Which is a little confusing and weird, but because I did it with this group, they're going to remind me when the 70 days comes up, come in and that appointment is already paid for. It's already prepaid. So I work, it was actually probably the best deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. So I went, I did my first visit and then I went home. I registered with the state, you know, state of Florida, medical marijuana site. I registered on there, had to upload like my driver's license and give them all this information, identify my identity, a picture, all that stuff. And then I submitted that application. That was another 75 bucks. And that was to get your actual medical card from the state. So what was that visit like? That actual doctor's visit? Like what are the stuff they ask you? Did you have to lie about anything? Like So medical marijuana is just growing by leaps and bounds down here. So they set up this office. This is their newest office. And they have another office probably like five miles away, which is a much bigger, I think they actually have like accounting and like other functions in that office along with a, a medical piece. So they opened this other satellite facility as a medical and it's probably going to stay there. But I walked in, it was like, you could tell they just moved in. It was like all temporary housing. I'm like, this is shady as fuck, but I just want to know if I'm going to get my, my license. So I go in and you know, they, they weigh you, they talk to you about your demographics. I filled out a whole medical profile and ailments online uh, and submitted to them, which I, the one thing I found really cool about it, it was all med- online and digitized. So there wasn't a lot of writing paperwork and stuff like that, especially now with COVID. It was just easy to do all online. So uh, I even booked the the visit online, everything. So it was kind of cool. Uh, and then they talk to you, they ask you a whole bunch of questions, you know, what, what ailments do you want to treat? Right. So you tell them what ailments you're looking for. And there's a list of acceptable qualifying conditions. Um, Some of them are actual conditions. The other ones that are kind of applicable to everyone is like back pain, um, migraines, anxiety is one of them. Yep. Uh, Arthritis, uh, spasticity. So there's some things, severe chronic pain. So those are the ones that kind of fit anybody that has a need that, that, you know, cannabis could treat. So those are the loopholes that you're getting in, unless you have like, you know, 
Lou Gehrig's disease, Crohn's disease, like, you know, there's specific diabetes is, you know, if you're on the spectrum, you know, almost everybody applies. Um, so, you know, you talk to them about that, you tell them what your ailments are and they say, yeah, I see that too. Now they write you a prescription. So the prescription is funny cause you don't see it. It goes to the state into their state system. And when I log into the state, I could see what the prescription is. Now I noticed uh, they ask you a specific question about, do you want flour or not? Right. In other words, do you want regular smokable marijuana or not? And I guess if you don't put it down, they won't give you authorize the prescription for it. If you do put it down, they authorize. Um, now the amount of marijuana that you're authorized for is kind of staggering. Um, staggeringly awesome. Um, <laughs> so let me log in here. What they do is, so for flour, they give you authorization for a prescription for 35 days and then another 35 days. Now, each of those 35 days is 2.5 ounces, which is a shit ton of marijuana. Yep. So that's five ounces over 70 days. <laughs> that's that is, a lot of that fucking is, weed. That is substantial. That's a staggering amount of weed, which is awesome. And then every 70 days, so that's the flower, the smokable is written for, for 35 days and there's a renewal every 35. Uh, the other, which is the vaping concentrate, which is vape tincture, um, whatever. So smoking marijuana is, doesn't matter THC. Then there's medical marijuana, which is high THC. Um, and that's your vape, your concentrates, your smoke, you know, uh, smoke goes into the smoking section, but it's the vape and, and all the non smoking stuff that you would take. And that is for 70 days, you're able to get now if it's, yeah. So if it's oral, oh, wow. They have my thing here. Huh? Look at that. So topical is different. So you can get oracle, oral, topical, or inhalation. And what they do is they keep track. They, they authorize you for a certain amount, and then they keep track every time you buy. They have to report that to the state, and then they have, it's like a declining balance out of your account for what you're approved for. Okay, like debiting your account almost. Exactly. So what happens is for the medical marijuana, which is some of the stuff that I bought, it's taking out of my account here now. So for oral, which is the, um, the, uh, the drops, uh, I got some today and it's actually in here. So I'm able to have every 70 days, 14,000 milligrams of THC. <laughs> right. So today I bought 400, 450 milligrams. I have 13,550 milligrams left. So that 450 is a bottle. So that's what I'm saying. Like you don't have to worry about the limit, uh, but they do keep track of how much you're, you're buying. So 14,000 over 70 days, over 70 days. So that's a combination wow, so of 200, 200 per day. Yeah. That's, that's what they wrote my prescription oh, for shit. 200 milligrams per day. So it's 200 milligrams a day, uh, which is, which is across oral, to oracle, oral, oral topical or inhalation. So it kind of declines out and they keep track overall if you go over, but 
it really, I don't see anybody hitting that unless you're basically buying for a family of like six. <laughs> so, uh, so that's medical marijuana. So you get, there's three categories. There's smoking, medical, and there's low THC cannabis. The low THC is the CBD. Um, so I have some in there already where the CBD's uh, oral is one thing. The topical is weird because the topical, they give you 3,500 milligrams. I guess it's different how the topical goes uh, and then the inhalation. So, so that's a prescription. So I saw that was in there. I set up my account and then it's the waiting game. So they say it's like clockwork about uh, right at around the 10 business day mark that your payment is processed. Um, you get your, your temporary card in the via email. So what they did is they sent me an email uh, it said, here's my number. I could use this as a temporary card until the regular card comes in the mail. And I took that. And within two hours, I was at, I was at the dispensary that's <laughs> less than a mile away. And they were like, wow. wow, you didn't waste any time. I'm like, nope, I've been waiting for that email for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so they laughed. And uh, before going, so I had, you know, I had about two weeks b between when I saw the doctor and when I went and they actually had a lot of help on the site to say, here are the, you know, recommended types of cannabis and here are the difference between indica, sativa, CBD, THC. So they, they do all that stuff. Like they, they give you the pamphlets and they try to make you aware of what you're actually looking to buy. Um, and then they say, uh, if you don't know what to get, you just go to the, the dispensary and they'll actually talk to you and, and help you. So they tell you all that up front and they list all the dispensaries around. And what I found unique about it is they list the dispensaries and then all the dispensaries list all their promos and their um, frequent purchaser programs, which it's so competitive. Like I said, they're offering like, you know, 20% uh, off on Mondays and, you know, 5% off um, order online and pick up and store that kind of stuff. So it's pretty interesting to see the technology going there. Um, the one weird thing is, so I went to the, I already went to the, um, dispensary, but you know, before going there, I looked online, I was like, wait, a minute, let me make sure I bring enough cash because typically right everywhere it's cash only because federally they're still, you know, not, not legal. So they can't do the whole banking thing. Right. So they don't take credit cards and they don't take, um, you know, they don't take any cards, but what they do is in the locations, a lot of them, the one that I went to, they have an ATM inside and then they use uh canopy. I think it's what it's called. Um, which is so canopy, you could put money in the account kind of like, uh, I guess PayPal or something. Um, and then you could debit it out of that account with them. So they'll take canopy. So some of the people around here take that or they take other stuff. Um, but yeah, you, or you still got to walk in with cash, which is uh, pretty interesting, but, uh, wow. Yeah. So I got the email. I went right to the dispensary <laughs> and it was, it wasn't like we've been to before. So we've been to ones where they have medical and recreational mm -hmm. and you kind of walk in, right. This one, they actually took my information. They said, oh, why don't you sit down? We'll have, um, we'll have somebody come and, uh, and get you. I was like, all right. And I don't think this was, 
you know, for COVID, this wasn't special. This is what they do. And they check you in. They make sure they have your information. Uh, and then somebody comes out and they say, okay, I'm here to help you. And they take you back and they start talking about products, uh, what ailments you have. Uh, I was talking to the girl. She was great. Uh, her name is Jade. She's dynamite at, I want to give some, them some love at Fluent, Fluent Cannabis. They even gave me a hat. Look at that. Look at that. It looks like a Florida hat. So I like it. Fluent. So um, she was real super nice. And I was talking to her. I went back again today and I was talking to her. She was a nurse. So she used to be like an office nurse. And she was like, you know, it was so horrible talking to patients and saying, your insurance doesn't cover this and you need this medicine. I'm sorry. That's all I can do to now she's just talking to people about cannabis and, you know, what is your ailment? What can I help you with? You know, what do you need help with? So it's very, um, it's very good process. You know, they still let you buy whatever you want, but they help uh, guide you to the strains and to the products that they think, you know, you're, you're more leaning to and they keep track of it all. So I, I went back today and they're like, Oh yeah. Hey Mary, how's it going? You know, what's more nice. weed. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so what did you end up picking up then? Well, the first day I had this whole list of like, I got to say it was like $600 worth of weed. I'm like, I want to try everything. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I get in there and she, you know, she looks at the list and she was real sweet. She looks at the list. She's like, yeah, she's like, I'm going to limit to you to three to four items today. Cause it's your first visit. She's like, the only reason I'm going to do that is because your second visit is, is 50% off. Ah, so Jade's like, got your back. I was like, damn. I was like, she's like, I'm the worst salesman, but it's not about selling. It's about making sure, you know, everybody's taken care of. I was like, damn. So she limited me. So I got three vapes the first day. Um, which were those? So it's funny. What I noticed is down here, um, every medical marijuana has, you know, they're their own brand and I guess they have to control their own product. So when they buy it from the grower, it gets labeled as their own brand and they can't, so they don't really use the strain names. They say it's derived from this strain, but they grew it, you know, like those uh, designer imposters cologne. Exactly. If you so, like CK one, <laughs> you'll love. Well, it's like, so like blue dream, for example, is one of their, their things, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they don't call it blue dream because it's blue dreams, the strain they started with. And then they grew it in their environment. So it might not be the same blue dream and they don't want to get into that discrepancy. This is their version of blue dream that they're growing and they understand that. So what they do is like, for example, their blue dream, they call Baldor. So they just come up with other names <laughs> and in essence, it's blue dream, their version of blue dream. And it might've been enhanced from what the original strain was, you know what I mean? So that's why they have their own name. Uh, but everything like today, I took the Atlas, which is the Durban poison. Um, I have Hydra, which is Jack Herrera, uh, sour diesel, blue dream, OG Kush. Um, they have one that I haven't tried. I just got it today. It's called, uh, Gemador, right? But what it is, they took girl scout cookies and blue dream and they mixed them. Ooh, nice. Now on leafly, it's called uh, blueberry pie. If you look on Leafy, and it looks pretty, it looks pretty awesome. They have Trainwreck. That's another one I got today. Um, and then I got some. So 
We, you, you also realize too, once you start going to one dispensary, they have a certain vape, right? Now that vape pen that they, you know, the cartridges they sell may fit other vapes, but now you have to start checking. So, um, there's one just north of me, like maybe six miles north of me that has the PAX Aeropods. So I'm going to go there just to get the PAX Aeropods, uh, cause you could always refill the pods with other oil. Um, and they have the refills. But I got the battery for the vape cartridges that they have. So, and they gave that to me free. So they gave that to me free today. I got they free. I got the free hat. They gave me free filters for for smoke. They said each filter is uh, it's really good. It just takes out some of the um, the overburnt stuff uh, when you're when you're smoking a joint. Um, and I didn't get, because I don't have a real vape. I have the vapes that take cartridges, the cheap ones. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the vape to vape flower yet. So I'm like, let me just wait on the flower. And instead I got the little pre-rolls. Look at that. Nice. Which are cheap. I mean, it's like three pre-rolls in there. Um, and they're really very nice. So. Ooh, they smell so, delicious. So of what you've partaken in so far. There's my set of cartridges. Wow. <laughs> and that doesn't include I got C B D oil. Like that that wasn't a I got the C B D bomb. They have this bomb and I took it out today and I just to smell it, you know, see what it, it's like. And it smells delicious. It smells like just like a nice hand cream or something like that. I was like, and that's a one to one C B D to THC. Oh, very nice. So they said that's good for pain, muscle aches and stuff. They're like, you know, use it where you have any pain. Um, and then I got the CBD oil, which is just delicious. Good for you. Very nice. You know, and if I ever have too much THC, I got the CBD oil to fall back on. Yeah. So is there anything that you would have done differently? Had you known ahead of this whole process? I would have gone earlier. Yeah. (laughs) So part of part of the lobby that doesn't want marijuana to be legal, uh, I think they they do whatever they can to make it intimidating and not make it openly spoken about or talk about the, you know, the method to get it, the ease to get it, um, because they don't believe in it. Right. So well, because a lot of them also are in the pockets of people of other vices like alcohol or pharmaceutical or cigarettes or something. Exactly. So I'm all for, you know, uh, trying it out, see what works and, and going through the process. So, you know, what I would do different, um, like I said, just go earlier. I mean, not be such a chicken shit. Cause I could have been, is the day to go. I know I could have been having, you know, medical marijuana for a while now, you know, for enjoyment and for legitimately helping me with stuff. Yeah. Because the other thing that the the doctor said to me, which I thought was interesting, I didn't have much of a conversation with it was it was a scheduled fifteen minute appointment, and I still had I left it five minutes early. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so the the only thing he said to me is like, well, it was a lot of asking if you have any questions. So it's kind of good that they do that, right? That's doing their job. Yeah. Um, but it did strike me because he, he did catch me in something like, you know, I didn't think about it that way. I said, no, I said, I've had CBD before I've, I've ordered online and stuff. He said, that's good. He's like, but how did you know you were getting legitimate 
good source of CBD. I'm like, you're right. I said, well, I haven't gotten it from, you know, dispensary, which is pharmaceutical grade. I've gotten it from online based on reviews and, you know, a good company and a good track record. I said, but it's not like it's been lab tested. Right. So, yeah. uh, it's, you know, now I'm like, you know, and then the pricing, you know, it goes all over the place. So I could understand like every few days there's, there's discounts and there's part of the, you know, everybody has their own programs. So if you're going to go get certain things, you go on certain days or you, you wait for certain things. You know what I mean? Like next trip, I think I get buy one, get one. So if I needed some more of the, uh, cream, that's 95 bucks for that cream, you know? And it was like a, it was decent sized jar, but it was, it was not huge. Um, 95 bucks is a lot, you know? Oh yeah. So, and some of these, you know, they're not cheap. The, the joints were 22 bucks for three of them for three of them. Wow. 22 for three, but I got them for half price today. Okay. So I got it for 11, which is like, that's like getting it off of the street. Reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. But that's only because it was my second visit. So I, I think they know people are going to go their first visit. They give you 25%. Their second visit, they want you to like, oh, I'm going to wait and come back and get the big, you know, the big load of weed then yeah. to get my collection going. And then, and then now it'll trickle, trickle on, but it is con- convenient. Like out at the beach, there's like a place right, right near where we were hanging out this week. And I was like, man, if I had my car, I could just walk in there and just get something. <laughs> like a convenience store you know yeah right yeah, it's so. crazy just how much is required still you know in terms of getting the, the medical documentation and the prescription yeah. and all that it's just while other states it's just go in and buy it you know yeah it's, it's so crazy how it's all so different and so varied depending on where where you are what state you're in yeah now i understand like medically they're trying to do a lot of uh labeling like so the labels are very clear they have like the percentage thc uh cbd all that stuff um so labeling is definitely i could see there's there's a requirement for that and it's good that they have it the only frustrating thing is there's no recommendation of how much like thc uh or cdb uh, cbd you would get from like a drop and the dropper you kind of figure that out it's kind of universal and that's good but I think right now the medical part of it is tough because nobody's come out with like almost like a guide, like, like the, the knock on the medical world is of course they say, Oh, what's your ailment? Boom. Here's how to treat it. You know, there's no standard when you talk about medical marijuana. So they can't say, well, you would be good with, you know, 10 milligrams of, you know, a CBD THC blend, maybe this straight, like, they're not that specific. You know what I mean? Well, like, yeah, more, people are so varied too and what they can handle and tolerances. Right. So it is very, you, you do have to play with it. Um, you know, I, I read an article today, I was looking at cooking with it and they were t- saying how decarboxylating and doing like your own uh, edibles is, is tough and it's uh it's trial and error. They're like, you're just going to have to kind of figure it out. Like, you know, how much yield you get out of certain, certain flower and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, you, you definitely have to try it out. I have a new app too. So the app I have, I don't know if you've tried this or you might've told me about it. Um, it's called relief relief. Yeah. Relief. 
R E L E A F. And what it does is um, you set it's up like an account. Untapped for weed? Exactly. Um, so you actually manage your sessions. So if I want to do a quick log, I quick log that I had a certain strain, certain whatever, um, and put in there how I felt, what, what I was taking it for to treat. So you put in all your ailments, you know, you put up to, I think five ailments, uh, that you're mainly targeting with your treatment. Right. So it's cool because now you can actually, and they recommend keeping like a, um, you know, a, a treatment log, you know, a marijuana log anyway, because you, you kind of want to keep track of like how much your stuff costs, which ones are better, which ones you had a good experience. Uh, but this app, you actually put in uh, what you're using it to treat. And then you put in how it made you feel afterwards. Hmm, nice. And so now when I look at the strains that I loaded in there, I could see, oh, this one, uh, I rated high for treating nausea for myself, right? So it's good because now it's personal to me. Yeah. Did you record a video of yourself before and after taking it? <laughs> you probably could. I think you could upload pictures, so that's probably <laughs> dangerous. And then you could do a live session, which is weird. I don't understand it because, like, you could do a live session and say, I'm having this strain, I took five drops, and then the timer starts kicking down. And then I guess you just wait. Let's and see what the can, hell happens in 20 minutes. Right. And then you can log like after, let's say, uh, you know, 60 seconds, you could log that your anxiety went down to from a seven to a five. Right. Uh, because now you have weed. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you can keep doing that and then you end the session. So I thought it was pretty interesting. You can do like, it, it, you can do like a timeline of it too. And then they have some reports and insights on it. That's pretty cool. Pretty neat. I mean, you may want to, download it. it was free so yeah i just got it let's check it out um and then you could even put the dispensary that you're shopping from and a lot of times because like i said the dispensaries have their own name like and it's a different thing if they know the dispensary they'll have their product there so you could just select which one that you're using right now mine aren't recognized so i got to type in you know here's the percentage off the bottle and blah 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 and type in all that stuff and but then i have it there to just click next time and you can check in and be the mayor. You'd be the mayor. Like, hey, who's doing weed? Oh, I, there was one that I, I was looking at and I was like, oh, this looks good. It's like supposed to be. And then I saw an article that referred to it as the Tinder of of of, of weed. Nice. Where you nice. basically are finding a dating partner that smokes weed. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting married. I can't do that. That's funny. <laughs> it was just funny though. I was like, yeah, I could see that, you know. There's a Tinder for everything now, right? Yeah, right. The Tinder version of this. Tinder but it made sense. They're like a Tinder for people that are, you know, aren't going to be judged for smoking or for marijuana, right? Yeah. For either or. So that's pretty cool. That so cool. you have now gone down your medical marijuana pathway. I've jumped in the pool. We'll see where you're at in the next couple of months. But how do you feel so far? Like after a week or so? So I took a few, you know, so I tried a few strains, some of the strains that I've tried before. And these are, I think some of them are slightly different, which is, which is kind of good. Um, but I didn't, I even asked today, they don't have anything. They didn't have anything in stock, uh, really good for sleep. They have good stuff mm -hmm. that mellows you out and is good, but I really want something to just knock me the hell out because, um, but I have slept better. Uh, I've been taking the CBD oil and, um, some of the uh, THC, either vaping or I just started today with the drops. Uh, the drops are good. I did them all day, actually. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I just did just small at a time. This morning I took like, actually not even this morning. It was probably like, yeah, you know, like one or two already. Hey, and yeah. So I just did like five drops, then waited like an hour, another five drops, another hour, another five, you know? So I've just been, and it's kind of kept me nice and mellow and, you know, uh, I tell you what, I, like I said, before we started this, that I'm drinking a few days cause or, I'm nice and relaxed. Nice. Take the buzz off. Very cool. So I definitely have to get into a routine and, uh, but right now, once you get, get it, you're just like, I got to try this one. I got to try that one. I got to try that one. So in the candy store, my cannabis consumption is up right now. I'm at 200 milligrams a day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually the CBD. I mean, I, I hit that pretty hard. I, I looked at the bottle. I'm like, Holy shit. Like a quarter of it's gone. Damn. You know, I'm also sharing it with somebody, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm like, it's a quarter gone. I'm like, I fucking need to get another bottle. This is a 600 milligram bottle. I'm like, yeah, this, this, the CBD oil is really good. I've been yeah. using that too. It, whenever I'm doing anything exercise wise, it's kind of straight, uh, extra intense mm-hmm. biking, running, whatever. I'll make sure I take two, two vial or get two. Yes. Droppers. Two droppers full. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, they actually said the one I'm um dropping today, the uh well I guess it's uh Durban poison. Um they're saying that's good for working out. So they say before the gym, uh the girl was saying she's like, I have a lot of people that before they go to the gym, they take this one because it, it promotes vascular um activity or whatever. Vascular flow? Yeah. So I guess oh, it, cool. they're Blood flows better. And I read too that that one, the Durban poison, is good for uh, getting a little sexy time because it helps the blood flow, makes everything feel and get a little nicer. Just saying. Wah, wah, wee, wah. Wah, wah, wee, wah. <laughs> so if you're looking for baby there number three, no, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, Christ. Skip <laughs> through two first. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I noticed today, um, I have a lot of vapes. And that's why I definitely wanted to get a sublingual. Sublingual goes under the tongue for anybody that doesn't know, for the layman. Um, I wanted to get a sublingual because, you know, there are there is a little kid around the house, and I do not want him to see me vape at all, you know? Yeah, uh, It just, I think it sets a bad example, um, you know, and I don't really like it uh, either. It is nice to have a nice little vape. I locked myself in the garage. I found a place already. And uh, do my thing there. But, you know, in public, it's just, I don't know. I'm a little self-conscious about it. So the tincture is perfect. Yes, for sure. Very nice. But one thing I did notice, and this is checking out online all the places around here and going to the one, no real edibles. So gummies. No real edibles. Lots of Florida rule, isn't it? Wasn't that when they first passed medical, like one thing they said? I don't even know, but I think it's bullshit, but I'm like, okay, so now I can make cookies. How do I make cookies? You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, they don't have any edibles. There's none of that. So yeah. Florida ain't having none of that. Yeah. Hey, it's a small price to pay for the other stuff that you got. So it's, it's awesome that you're, you're going down the path right now. I'm living the dream, man. You're living the dream. All better. Yep. Thing. Healthier lifestyle. Healthy lifestyle for sure. I did catch up on sleep, which is good because I got, you know, some that are good for, you know, just to relax you and chill you out. So, um, and I'll be honest with you with 
with cannabis, I have the first thing I want to do is go to sleep. I hear you. <laughs> so the the one that was for alertness and stuff, I took that and I was like, wow, I'm feeling pretty high. I just want to go to sleep. Took a, a half hour nap on the couch. And wow. then I was like, Hey, I feel a lot better. And I got up and I actually <laughs> now I feel on, alert. <laughs> I went on the Peloton little, I've, every day I've been going on the Peloton a little loopy. Look at that. But it's kind of cool. Like I'm not drunk or anything. I'm just, and my, and my heart rate isn't affected. And my heart rate, if anything, is better. Better as in lower? Better as in lower. Yeah. Okay. It's not jumping as high. And I'm doing like hill climb and shit like that. And I'm like, hey, this isn't bad. It's keeping me all nice and relaxed. So there's definitely something to it. I'm noticing the science already. <laughs> and you are a man of science. That's right. Very cool. All right. So that uh, anything else you want to add in or does that pretty much wrap up your experience? No, I mean, uh, that, that pretty much wraps it up. I'll let you know if anything else comes up, but hopefully from this point out, it's just going to be clear sailing. I got to visit the doctor every 70 days and that's it. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll still need to be, have your prescription refilled after 70 days. Exactly. <laughs> if not, I'm stocking up. Yeah. Right. Bunk right, right cool. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have the notes on the website. If you want to check out some of Mario's links to what are some of the uh, products that he's been now prescribed to consume at speedonpodcast.com. Mario, kick us off. All right, so to start us off, if you've seen with the coronavirus, the stock market's gone up and down. Now it's almost back at what it was before, right? It's a whole thing. So the Times had an article about what's gotten into the price of cheese. So the wholesale market for cheese, for cheddar is typically mild. This is a nice pun on things. Uh, but they're saying the pandemic caused sharp swings in cheese prices, um, which rose to highs this month, weeks after plummeting to nearly 20-year lows. So they say what happened is consumers were buying are buying way more cheese even uh, unusual demand from restaurants and schools, since that fell off, it started causing, I guess, the price to drop. So what they did is there was a, there were traders in the commodity markets um, and each trading day at Chicago time on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, there's a 10 minute session which buyers and sellers typically large dairy food cooperatives, cheap producers, and other companies active in the industry electronically trade roughly 40,000 pound truckloads of young mild cheddar. And they use that as like, you know, the 40 pound block of cheddar is like the standard for the cheese for big cheese. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the standard kind of like they do a barrel of oil is a barrel of West Texas intermediate is the, you know, standard on oil when you talk about pricing and if you you're in you know you're a deal with the stock market and i've done stock market stuff too and it's just like when you start talking commodities it is fucking crazy witchcraft stuff because it's like well we're basing this on cheese and like who's buying like it's really very fluid and i don't understand it's like no rhyme or reason to the whole market but it works it's like when like oil went negative a couple yeah couple weeks ago. It was going to cost them more money to drop it off than to hold it. Like it was negative because it was losing money because it was all sitting in outlet C, right? I don't, I don't get it. Is that what was happening? I I don't even quite understand what happened. 
it was something like there was a flood of the mark. Well, there was no need. So what happened is all the tankers down so much. Yeah. And the tankers were sitting offshore because there was no need. So even the, um, the, uh, distillation plants couldn't, couldn't process anymore because where are they sending it? Right. You don't need any more gas. So I don't need any more crude to process. So I'm not taking it in right now. So then they get stuck with it because it was on a one week journey across the sea. And now it's sitting off the coast of California because it can't go port anywhere. Yeah. And people were, I remember like talking, you know, looking online and people like, I just made so much money buying oil futures, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, um, you do know that you have to take delivery of that, right? Yeah. Because there's some sort of other. It's like a certain day limit. And I, I know this from somebody that worked in, I, I worked with a guy that um, worked at a, an exchange office in the city. And he said, somebody forgot to take, somebody forgot to move something. I think it was like, it was coffee or sugar or something. And they showed up into their Manhattan office and they fucking delivered like oh. hundreds of pounds of like this commodity in the lobby. They're like, well, you bought it. Here's your, we have to deliver it. So oh here's your God. shit. You know, and they yeah. failed to tell them what warehouse because what will happen if that happens, then you have to get a warehouse, have them deliver it there. If you don't, they deliver it to your office. So oh it's God. fucking, yeah. And now you got to pay somebody to come pick the shit up, bring it somewhere else, resell it, whatever you're doing. It's such a, it's, it's amazing people make any money on it, but they make a ton of it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so it's interesting. So they're saying usually uh, cheddar... Well, they said cheddar jumped to two eighty one a pound, which when it's normally uh, a buck a pound. Wow. Usually yeah. a dollar a pound. Yeah, cheese is around two twenty right now. Damn, like. big cheese. Yeah. You better go stock up while you can. Well, it's like that kid that like they say he committed suicide because of his trading account. It's like Oh, the Robin Hood account where it was like under it was like seven hundred grand in debt. Yeah, but they were saying something that the type of products he was getting into were stuff that like had dates on it and it like, hadn't nothing settled. settled. Yeah. yeah, it was like an option trader or something. And he, yeah, so his, they, his account so they, hadn't settled. Yeah, so they said he could have been like in the positive, but looking at it at first glance, not knowing what you're doing, you know, which is what Robinhood and all those other self, you know, empowering trading platforms are for. Like he didn't know what he was doing. So, oof. That's, That's fucked dark. up. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, anybody could go to the casino too and sit at the, at the tables and lose all their money, you know? That's allowed, yep. But you shouldn't really do it if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. One thing that's crazy about in this article with cheese, they said that one of the, you know, when the prices bottomed in April, they said that the Department of Agriculture announced plans to spend $3 billion to buy food from farmers, including... $100 million a month on a variety of dairy products. Damn. So our government has enough money to spend $100 million a month on dairy products. So that was part of the bailout, I think. But like my, my question is, you're not just throwing a number at saying, okay, this company's going bankrupt. If we give you $2 million, will that make you solvent to pay your bills and keep your people working, keep business going, right? Now you're talking about product. You have that much amount of product that was produced that now you bought as the U.S. government. What do you do with it? Yeah, right. 
I mean, are you someone going to eat it? Is does Trump get to eat it? Like, right? I mean, it's not like they're just giving him money and saying, "Here, we're subsidizing you." That's different. Then they subsidize them and they deal with their own product. If they're buying it, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe to distribute to people or government cheese. Government cheese. Government cheese. Government cheese. Instead of getting American cheese, we're getting cheddar this month. Yeah. Right? Nice block of cheddar. Get a wheel yeah. of cheddar. Yeah, it says too that, you know, there was the whole issue with restaurants and, you know, schools not buying cheese that they usually would. But they said that shoppers continued to buy 20 to 30% more cheese at stores than they did last year. Of course, you're at home. You're not going out to eat. Everything in America that you cook has cheese on it that you've gotten in a in a restaurant, right? I know. I've just bought at Costco giant bags of shredded cheese. Yep. I went today. I bought four blocks of cheese because they were on sale. Nice. Two for $5. I'm like, of the, um, the whatchamacallit, the one from Vermont. The, Cracker uh, Barrel or Cabot? Cabot. Cabot was on sale. Two for $5. Can't beat that. How about four? I'll go back money. tomorrow and buy them four more. I'm going to get some weed and some cheese. That's right. I'm stocking up. <laughs> weed, cheese, and guns. That's it. <laughs> gas. I think I'm going to have to get gas. Hurricane. So last year, I'm a dumb idiot that goes out and says, okay, I need five gallon gas tanks just in case a hurricane hits because, you know, after, after, floor, uh, after New Jersey, where the power was out, you couldn't get any gas and lines and shit. So I decided I got to get a gas tank. Now, rather than ask my brothers, do any of you have an extra gas tank laying around? My brother has like six of them. He's like, I don't know why I have them. He's like, I had two for the lawnmower and then this and that. He's like, you could have had one of those. So I decided I order some gas tanks. I order two five-gallon tanks, right? So they're on order. I forget I order them and I order two more. So then... I get two one day, and then two days later, I get another two cans. I'm like, what the hell? I think I was drunk one night, and I, I thought I forgot, and I ordered the other cans. Oh, like oh. goddamn weed. So now I got four cans in the in the garage, and I'm like, anybody need a gas can? Oh, man. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. So I'm that guy that has like four gas cans now, a pile of weed. Hey, you know what? Could come in handy. Fill them up. Bunker cheese. Bunker Bun- cheese. Bunker cheese. Toilet paper. I still got extra toilet paper. Well, see, you're you're planning ahead. You're prepared for the future. That's right. Now's the time to stock up because you're not out. You're prepared much like Akon, who is preparing to have a cryptocurrency-powered city in Senegal. Dude, I love this fucking story. I love it, but I have a lot of questions. So rapper Akon has agreed on a $6 billion deal to build a futuristic new crypto city in Senegal. Dude, when I heard about this, I was like, Akon, he's not a fucking developer. What, what is he doing? But well, apparently Akon City, which will be built just outside the capital of Dakar, has been in the works for several years with the musician announcing back in 2018 that he planned to construct a real-life Wakanda a, yes, but he. Let's go back to that sen- sentence. There, the musician is going to build this, not the well, architect, not the developer, <laughs> the musician. So I get a shitload of magazines. One of them had an article about Kanye West and the massive thing he's the massive ranch he's building. 
and he's involved in the whole build out. And it this is like a big Kanye West, and who's he married to? Kim Kardashian. Kardashian. Yeah. So they're building like some gigantic lavish place. And I read this and I was like, holy shit, he's just a, a musician, but I guess he's involved. And you hire the right people. You hire a builder, you hire an architect, you hire a designer. You always hire those yeah, but people. You hear, make... but you hear Kanye, he's like doing the sneakers. He's doing this. Like he's doing other right. stuff. You don't really hear yeah. Akon doing other, not that I pay much attention to Akon. But, uh, but Akon's, he's, he's hitting that too. And I'm like, you know, if, if Senegal can get behind, uh, him and he can make it happen like just bring the right people in that'd be awesome that'd yeah. be a destination site because they're saying they, they're gonna build the city like right near the airport yeah not it far details are limited but akon city will include a hospital mall police station school and houses and hotels all designed in futuristic style based on the renders akon shared via instagram the musician is also planning a solar power plant suggesting the new city will prioritize green energy. Inhabitants will buy goods and services using Akon's own cryptocurrency, Acoins, which will form the basis of Akon City's economy. Reports suggest the first phase will be completed by 2023, with the second phase finishing in 2029, by which point the city is expected to be up and running. Now, how hmm. are Acoins created? Okay, let's go back to Kanye West for a second. So they have Kanye West tried to build build Star Wars inspired homes, dome homes for the homeless, but LA officials forced him to tear them down. All right, so now we're getting into a rapper doing being a construction guy. <laughs> God damn, I gotta show, I gotta share that with you. All right, so, so we I'm do just have some context. I'm just trying to figure out. I'm on acoin.io. I'm trying to understand how acoins are mined. Mm. Does he does Acon control? Like, is there a pre-mine? Does he own like you know like 90% of these acoins? Can he change the amount in in uh produced? Like how much control over this does he have? So when I read this article, I was like, oh, this is awesome. He's doing a nice thing. And then they said they're going to use Acoins. And I'm like, oh, that's where the shady shit comes in. Who's running it? Who's making the money from it? Yeah. And why they give him $6 billion to build the city on these fictional coins that who knows is going to own. So, Well, then again, our dollars now are kind of fictional too because they just keep printing more and more of them up. That's it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see how Acon City plays out via the Stellar blockchain. Oh, okay. Oh, it's just a token. It's not a token. It's not their own. Yeah. Coin. Well, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it is. But they're using a. They're, they're not constructing a brand new back into it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no, because I mean, it is built on uh, an existing one, right? But it will have its own wallet and that'll be cool. I wonder what so I'm guessing like eight coins exist right now. So like well, I don't know. Are they gonna launch them with the they should exist if they want to make it a viable, right? They should exist before. All right, it's on coin market cap. 
So now I wonder if you do really business to build the city, why wouldn't you want to do business in Acoins, right? Yeah. Have all the construction, all that stuff paid for. Make everybody go via Acoin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's on coin market cap, but there's no value to it. So I don't uh, know if that like I, I don't know what that means. Like how can you like why would you accept an A coin and what does it can you exchange it for something like, and who's gonna accept it? I mean it's the same arguments that people made for Bitcoin like ten right. years ago. Well, I guess they're saying this city, that's gonna be the currency of the city. Yeah. So if you want to do any business with anybody in that city, you're going to have to use it or at least transfer money in and out of different coins or whatever. Yeah. Which I guess if you think about it, we could, anybody, any government can do that. But like, all right, this is now our national current, our national cryptocurrency. Well, that's also, did you hear like that? Uh, who's that weirdo came up with the book this week? John Bolton, the former oh, Trump yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, Trump said in 2018, he's like, we got to stop this Bitcoin thing. We got to put an end to it. We got to stop it uh, because he was, you know, there all these, these, all the guys who want to be super powerful in government know that the whole thing that's giving them the power is the U S dollar. Yeah. And if you take away that power, like there was that, that Brad Sherman jerk off from California who always talks about that whenever like a Bitcoin comes up in those Senate hearings that like, we cannot interrupt the U S's strength and power. It's like, well, if it, if it's, it's time, then it's, it's time. And right. Bitcoin represents a better form of money, a more transparent, a less censorship, a less censorable form of money. Yeah, but here's the thing. If, if the government were to come out and say, we're using Bitcoin, that's it. The dollar's gone. We have Bitcoin. You could trade Bitcoins in for actual dollars if you wanted to, if they want to do that. But the problem is the government would never do that because they don't have control over Bitcoin. Only right. the, the algorithm is already set and it cannot be changed and manipulated, which is what the Federal Reserve is doing right now with our, right. the U.S. dollar. And they do and that by just printing more money, printing less money, exactly. taking money, taking money out of circulation. Why would you do that? Well, we printed too much money 10 months ago. So now we're taking it out so that we have less debt basically for the U S government that's out there. What do you mean debt? Oh, those are promissory notes that are actual mean that you're getting money. You're getting the promise of money. Hey man, those $2 trillion coins, those two, those two coins they made that are worth a trillion dollars each are all on the balance sheet to offset that spending. So we're good to go. Yeah, there you go. There's yep. two coins. That's all they got to do. Here's our cryptocurrency. It's worth $200 billion. Yeah, right. Uh, well, that's what was happening in 2017, all that, when everything, all those yeah. ICO launches that went kind of crazy. But yeah. you know what? It's so cool. This is actually happening. You know, I, I wonder how well it's going to work, but I love the idea of it. And right near the airport, it could be like a very, not just touristy place, but it could be a very like one of those worldwide places like New York, LA, Hong Kong, you know what I mean? Like they, that puts that region of the world on the map. Almost. It could be the Singapore of Africa. Yeah. I mean, it's right? really, and it would I, be, I did look it up. There's no skiing in Senegal though. Damn it. Yeah. Very flat. I think it's like a thousand feet is like the highest. How about yeah, sand skiing? I don't know, but again, Senegal is pretty flat. There are other, you know, 
other places in Africa that have better mountains and to have sand skiing. But mm-hmm. Senegal, it's not that far from Morocco. That's where like the best ski resort in Africa is around Marrakesh. Nice. Yeah. They had um, Gordon Ramsay in Uncharted. I guess he took it over from uh, well, what's his face that uh, Bourdain. Bourdain, yeah. and uh, he was in Morocco in the in the mountains of Morocco. It was pretty cool looking. Oh yeah. He was hiking up there, eating fresh mushrooms. He, they made a mushroom pizza up in the in the uh, mountains, and the the guys are like, "Yeah, this is what we eat like when we're we're hungry. We just bring dough." And they brought the dough, they flattened it out, and they collected mushrooms around. And Gordon's like looking at the mushrooms. He's like, "These mushrooms for for that pizza they made with a few mushrooms on the pizza." He's like, "I would have to charge uh, a few hundred quid in my restaurant to make money on that." Wow. So there are all these like expensive mushrooms that grow wild there and they like, they ship them out everywhere, but that's what they eat as like their regular food, like fancy ass mushrooms. <laughs> they don't even realize it. That's pretty funny. That's awesome. All right, cool. Well, we'll see how uh, Acon city forms over the next few years. We'll have to keep tabs on it. I think we may have to get in on the ground floor of this. We might have to reach out to Acon or if Acon's listening, reach out to us. We got plans for indoor worldwide largest ski area in the world in Acon City. It could be there. Could be there. Pretty good idea. Have a gondola going across the city. Be freaking awesome. An Acongola, we'll call it. Whatever you want to call it. Acongola. Yeah. Acongola. From the top of the building over to the top of the fake mountain. Like go in, door open, it goes in. It's all nice and frozen. You go skiing, get out, take the gondola back. Sounds good to me. I like where this is going. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up the old podcast for the week. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it. Check us out. Skibumpodcast.com on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, untapped at Skibum Podcast. We're on your favorite podcasting apps, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. We're also on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay fluent. See ya.